Welcome to Alindel's Choice, a podcast where we explore the art of living and the real world of challenges that make living one's best life a difficulty. A journey is seen through the experiences of a husband, dad, coach, techie, entrepreneur, and athlete. I'm your host, T. Melindel. How's everybody doing this week? In Kentucky, the big story this last week was snow. Kentucky doesn't get a ton of snow, but we got about four to six inches. As one would expect, there were a lot of closures, especially on the school. Fortunately, my son's school has a hardcore principal who's a temp until the rest of the year until they can find a new one. She's having none of this business with days off, <laughs> which I love. I, I think it's ridiculous that they take off when there's a dusting of snow. The roads were fine. Why not go to school? Have a two-hour delay. Get your school in. No reason to have a day off. If the snow comes early in the morning, sure. But if the snow's the day before and we know it's there and the roads are going to be good, just push it back. Get the daily commutes out of the way. And then when the roads are less trafficking, take them to school. I love it. I love it. As you know, I'm recovering from COVID. And one of the problems of COVID is a good chunk of phlegm buildup in your lungs, which from a day-to-day perspective, I don't even notice. But until it clears out, it does cause trouble with training, mainly with swimming. When I'm swimming at a certain effort, I'm finding myself out of breath easier than I was pre-COVID. That's more of a frustration than anything. You don't quite have the lung capacity you have until all of that junk leaves. And I find that really annoying. Fortunately, at this point in the season, I don't have to do any really hard work because it's my off season. And so I can go through and, and clean that up before I have to get into my seasons. So from that standpoint, I am lucky to get COVID this time of year. But it's still an annoyance. It really is. The other news is soccer is beginning to ramp up. You know, I'm really bullish on soccer this year. My uh, son's team is going to be good. He has a lot of talented players on his team, which is going to be great for him. He's going to get pushed. He's not one of the better players on the team, which I like. That means he's going to be pushed to get better, which is what he kind of needs. You want to be one of the weaker players on the team, not one of the better ones. That way you get pushed to be a better player. It's going to be a, He's going to have a good team this year. If they can ever figure out the selfish aspects of the game, there's a handful of kids on the team who, when they get the ball at their feet, they want to do something with it. Soccer, usually the best strategy is to find someone else. If we pass it, we can move the defense, we can create openings, a lot of good things happen. I can get the ball back. But there's just some kids who get the ball at their feet, they want to dribble, they want to make moves. Sometimes the answer is just make that pass. If they can figure that out, and their coach understands it, he's trying to work towards that, they could be a really, really good team. And I'm, I'm excited to see how they do this season. Last year, they they played every team close. In fact, all but one teams they led every game, which meant that they had three or four games where they lost the lead and ended up either tying or losing. For me, that's a good sign because if they can fix some of their defensive issues and they become a little more unselfish – they may kind of flip the switch and win most of their games this year. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. I coach a team as well. I'm bullish on my team as well. I got a score in the middle of last year, and once he came on board, we were able to 
win or tie every game we played except one. We only had one loss after he came on. So that's really a good sign. I, we had training practice this week, and I'm training with a group that's one year younger. And I can really see the difference between this year and last year by watching them. Because the, the 2014 team is a pretty good little team. But my 2013 team, they, they can see the field better. They, they understand kind of where they're going better than that 2014 team. And that's good. That's, that's a good sign. I, I, if we can get our skills up with our recognition of the game, we have a chance to have a really good season as well, which is fun. I'm excited about it. Okay, one of the things I wanted to do with the show is provide an accountability piece for myself and for you, the listeners. When I ended last one, I talked about the three goals I wanted to really address in the, in the coming months. I had two 90-day challenges and a weight loss goal for training. Now, my 90-day challenges, I had a daily journal. I was going to do a daily journal and plan each day. I hit five of the six nights in the last week, which is pretty good, but it wasn't perfect. The problem was I missed on Saturday night, and I realized that weekends are going to probably be the challenge in this one. Friday and Saturday nights tend to be less structured because my son doesn't have school the next day, my wife doesn't have work. It's a lot more free-flowing, and that creates problems, mainly in the morning before they wake up there is an opportunity to get stuff done. If, if I don't plan out that day, I find myself just drifting in the morning. I usually still get up early. They don't get up until 10 or 11. There's this three or four hour window in the morning where I could potentially be more productive and get things done. And instead, I just find myself reading the internet, doing stupid things, wasting time. And part of that is just my failure to plan. So I need to be really cognizant on the weekend of scheduling, of making sure I get my daily review in. The other 90-day challenge I had was keeping a clean desk and bedroom. I had a perfect on that. I was six for six. And to be honest, that's probably the best I've ever done <laughs> at keeping those clean for that length of time. That's exciting for me. Just the fact that I have to post every night on social media pictures of my desktop or my desk of my bedroom area forces me to keep it clean. And that's the type of accountability I need to generate the habits I need so that when this challenge ends in 90 days, I can make this part of my habit. I can make this part of who I am. And that's exciting. That's exciting for me. I, I really feel that keeping my area clean, cleaning on a daily basis is something that I can embrace and do and then expand it to other areas of, of the house and my life. The final area I had a ch set for a challenge is my weight. I'm trying to get down to the low 150s so that I can race at a high level again. I weighed in this morning at 165.0. Last week I was like 165.2, so there's really no change. You know, something's going to have to change. I, I cannot race and train at this weight. It's I'm, I'm going to end up getting injured. Bad things are going to happen. I'm not going to be fast. You know, it, So something has to change. One of my problems is I can't ramp up exercise at this point in time of the year. One, I, I can't do it. I, I, I can't sit on a bike trainer for multiple hours. But secondly, I'm still in my off-season. I'm not supposed to be doing large volume of training, which means I have to change something else. I need to change how I eat. That's going to be my challenge this week. One of the things I noticed over the last week is I kind of like tracked my eating habits was I have a tendency to snack. 
I have a tendency to a lot of snacking. Just like chips or Chex Mix or some nuts. None of this is really good for me. I don't sit and eat a ton of it, but I get a pang of hunger. I roll down, I grab a handful of pretzels or chips or something like that, which is not good, and consume it. I probably consume three, four, five hundred calories a day just in snacking. If I can eliminate that, then maybe I have a chance to, to pull weight off before my training can ramp up, when it becomes a little bit easier when you're out there biking six, seven, eight hours a week. So that's where I am on my accountability. It's kind of a mixed bag, which is to be expected. This is always a challenge. Life is a challenge. But hopefully next week I can continue to hit my goals on the dailies and make some weight gain. Let's transition to our topic. Last week we talked about eudaimonia, living a free-flowing life. We began our discussion of this by talking about living what the Greeks call erite, or living with character, being a good person, so to speak. When I look at that in my own life, I can see my own struggle with staying in the moment, staying alert for making good decisions. It's amazing how much of one's life is on cruise control. You just let your you just let things automatically happen without really pushing them through a filter of rational thought. I waste just tremendous amounts of time each day on automatic impulses. I need to change it. That's an area I am going to have to get better going forward. Today we're going to focus on what you can control. I'm going to start with a quote by Epictetus. What is it then to be properly educated? It is learning to apply our natural preconceptions to the right things according to nature. And beyond that, to separate the things that lie within our power from those that don't. One of the central teachings of Epictetus, one of the original philosophers of Stoicism, was that there are things which are up to us and things that aren't. Our goal is to make the best use of what is in our power and take the rest as it happens. And this is a primary idea, a cornerstone, so so to speak, of Stoic philosophies. The Stoics believe that the root cause of emotional sufferings is worrying about outside events, things outside of our control. And this makes sense because if we are worrying about things outside of our control, we are handing power to things we don't have direct control over. Man, what does he or she think of me? Is my team going to win? I mean, why am I not better looking? Why am I not taller? All of this focus on external things does nothing but cause anxiety and emotional suffering. I either fear, envy, loathing, things that we don't really want to feel if we're living a, a good life. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we control? What is in our control? And when you think about it, it's not much. Do we have control over the weather? No. Do we have control over the physical world? No, not really. What about others? Can we control others? Can we control their actions? Can we control what they do? No, no, not really. Can we control our own bodies? Somewhat, but I can't control whether or not I get sick or not. I can't control the aging process. I can't control getting diseases. So no, I I don't really have control over my body. Can we control everything that happens to us? No, we can't. People are going to do things around us. Chaos is going to happen. Nature, whatever is going to happen. 
all those things that happen to us, we have zero control over. We might be able to influence things around us. I can treat people the right way in hopes that they'll treat me back, but I can't control what they're going to do. The only thing we can control is what we think of things and our actions. We can decide what all of these events and things that happen to us mean, and we can decide how we're going to react to them. So part of this dichotomy of control is understanding the levels of influence we have on the world. There's a lot of things we have zero influence on. We can't influence the weather. We can't influence our appearance. We can't influence what happens around us in the world. We do have partial influence on things. We can do things to make ourselves healthy. We can do the work necessary to acquire wealth, property. We can influence our relationships with others. And we can influence the outcomes of our behavior. If we do good things, good things generally come. If we do bad things, bad results generally come. But the only thing we have full influence over is our judgment, our opinion, so to speak, and our actions. The Stoics use the metaphor of an archer to help explain this process. If I'm an archer, what can I can control? I can control my at looking at my arrow, making sure it's straight, making sure it has all the properties. I can make sure my bow is in good condition. I can make sure my string is in good condition. I can then pick my bow up. I can knock the arrow. I can pull the arrow back. I can aim. I can make sure I'm doing all the things necessary for me to hit the target and get a bullseye. And I can release the arrow. At this point, I can no longer influence where the arrow will go. I can't control if that arrow will hit its target. If I'm shooting outside, a huge gust of wind could come by at just that one time, blowing the arrow off track. Something could go in the way. I'm reminded of <laughs> Randy Johnson throwing a fastball that hit a bird, that obliterated the bird. A bird could fly in front of our arrow. It's not going to hit the target if that happens. The arrow could be defective in some way. Maybe it wasn't truly straight, and it flies off target because it was defective in a way that we couldn't tell. So I can influence my shot to make it go on target, but I can't control whether it'll hit the target. I can try my best, but once I let the arrow go, I'm no longer in control if it will hit the target. And such in life, we can choose our intentions and actions, but outcomes rely on externals that are beyond our control. What the Stoics suggested is that we focus on what we control and let the rest happen as it will. And this introduces us to the process. I was, I was first exposed to the process when I was following Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. He was an acolyte of Saban and the concept of the process. As such, I began to study more of Saban to understand how he went about coaching and why he was so successful. Before he, did, before he focused on the process, as we'll discuss here in a minute, he was more of a rah-rah coach that he got his guys fired up to play the game, and he was going to use that emotion to, to drive them to victory. He was the coach of Michigan State, and they were playing Ohio State in 1998. At this point in time, Michigan State was 4-5. and five. They weren't having a great year, and they were playing the undefeated Ohio State Buckeyes. Saban tried, decided to change his strategy. They weren't going to focus on the outcome of the game. What he wanted his players to do was focus on one play at a time. For this one play, I'm going to give it my all. I don't care about the scoreboard. I don't care how much time's left. I don't 
care what the game situation is. For that one play, I'm going to give it everything I have. And then once that play's over, I'm going to forget about it. And I'm going to go into the next play and do it all over again. I don't really care what the outcome of that play was. I'm going to go to that next play and I'm going to give everything I have to doing my job for that play. And if they can do that for 60 minutes of a game, they can live with the results regardless of what they were. They pulled the upset that day. And Saban embraced this going forward. And he began to see success at Michigan State. He went on to LSU and won a national championship. After a short detour through the pros, he ended up at Alabama and became one of the greatest collegiate coaches of all time. Because he got players to focus on the right things. Not the results, but what it took to get those results. And this isn't a new idea. This is an ancient one. The Stoics realized that the process could out- affect the outcome. Therefore, the Stoics believe that we want to focus on the process, which is something we can control, instead of the desired outcomes. We're better off focusing on those things that we can control, which will optimally lead to our desired outcomes. And in the process, success isn't defined by the results, but by how we execute, by how we do everything in our power to reach those results. Coming back to our archer example, what can the archer do? He can focus on the process. He can spend days practicing, preparing to shoot, getting better and better at making the right decisions to make sure he can maximize his chance to hit the target. If we focus solely on the process and being successful at the process, two things happen. Hitting the target isn't a source of happiness, but also that missing isn't a source of sadness. A stoic succeeds in the process and takes the results in stride, knowing that they did their best. Focusing on the process creates peace and tranquility because you know you tried your best. You did everything possible you could so you can be at peace with the results however they fall. As someone who tries to live with this day-to-day, it's easier said than done. Because what we're talking about is the stoic concept of acceptance. The reality is our suffering is a psychological resistance to what happens. Most of our inner turmoil comes from fighting with reality. We're driving down the road, someone cuts us off. We get angry. We get mad. We yell something at them we probably shouldn't. (laughs) We lose a game, and we're angry, we're mad, we're sad. We're running late for an appointment, and we're full of anxiety as we rush around, and everything that blocks us becomes this great drama. From a rational perspective, it's stupid to battle reality. We can't undo what's already been done. I can't undo the results of the game. I can't undo the fact that this driver cut me off. I can't undo the fact that I'm running late for an appointment. But yet we do. We fight. Epictetus called this fighting with the gods. Things aren't because they were meant to. Some people would call this fate. If you are a Christian at least, you would call this God's will. But really at the end of the day, our emotional disturbance comes from forgetting what is in our control and what isn't. The basic truth is we control our actions, not the results. Since we did our best, we must calmly accept the results. Focus on what we can control and accept what we cannot. You know, really what we're trying to do is like, okay, this happened. What can I do with it? What's the best thing I can do with it? We can either accept or we can be dragged kicking and screaming along. Another stoic metaphor of this idea is a dog attached to a leash. A leash. We're going from 
spot A to spot B, we can be, we can do one of two things. We can go along with the travel, whoever's taking us from point A to point B. We can explore, we can enjoy what we're doing, or we can be dragged along fighting the whole way, straining against the lease to go back. Now, either way, we're going from point A to point B. But how are we going to get there? That's within our choice. I mean, this doesn't mean being resigned to fate. It just means accepting the challenge that is presented and finding a, a way. The obstacle becomes the way. To do this, we need to rethink how we look at the world. The concepts of good, bad, and indifferent. From a Stoic perception, good is virtue. From a Stoic perspective, bad is our vices. Everything else is considered indifferent. If we look at that, then the only things that are good and bad come from within ourselves. Everything else is indifferent. Everything else is neutral. So what is meant by indifferent? The indifferent things around us are things that neither help nor harm our development of virtues, our ability to achieve eudaimonia. The problem we have is our culture, at least in the United States, defines indifference as being without value. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about things that do not affect our character. Just because they are indifferent does not mean that we don't have preferences for some indifferences over others. Like, I would much rather be healthy than sick. What, I'm, what we're saying is you would rather have them, but you will be okay without them because it won't affect your character one way or another. And you can actually seek these indifference as long as they don't conflict with your virtues, with your character. Seneca, another Stoic philosopher, wrote, Good people will do what they find honorable to do, even if it requires hard work. They'll do it even if it causes them injury. They'll do it even if it will bring them danger. Again, they won't do what they find base, even if it brings wealth, pleasure, or power. Nothing will deter them from what is honorable, and nothing will lure them into what is base. Another way to think of this is to think of it as a game of poker. If we're playing poker, we're dealt cards. The hand that is dealt us represents our external circumstances. It represents our environment, our family, our friends, our jobs. And all of these cards represent indifference. Once a hand is dealt in poker, we have no choice but to accept what can't be changed. My wish shouldn't be for different cards, but to play the hand I've been given to the best of my ability. A good player will play their best regardless of what hand is given them and calmly accept the results. The player who plays their hand the best over the long haul generally wins. That's what we're trying to do as a Stoic. We're trying to accept the hand that was given and do the best we can with it. Because at the end of the day, the best hand cannot help a person obtain a good life. The worst hand cannot harm our virtues. Our character outweighs these external goods. External goods might be preferable, but ultimately they are indifferent to the development of our character because it's the development of our character that will lead us to a good life. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us five stars. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button. Either way, subscribe to get future content, and as always, have a great day if you want to.